Hello, my name is Wendy Myers. Thank you so much for joining me on the Live to 110 podcast. You can check me out at livetoo110.com and mineralpower.com. And I've been having a wonderful week. I have been uh, really diving deep into nesshealth.com. That is a new protocol uh, that I have trained in. I think it's one of the most profound protocols and energy medicine that I've ever encountered. And I've used it to dramatically improve my energy and my health. And I urge you to do the same. We have it available now on livetoo110.com in the store. And it's something that Tony Robbins uses himself. He's a motivational speaker. And he had such profound results that he required all of his staff to be on the program as well. And that's how effective it is. It's very, very quick to increase your energy levels. And in doing that, it helps your body to function better, to detox, to absorb nutrients better. It is absolutely incredible. And I have several podcasts about it that you can listen to and really encourage you to try it out. Today we have on the podcast, Dr. Dietrich Klinghart. Uh, he is one, uh, one of the most respected physicians in the United States. He is one of the people that I respect the most when it comes to health and detoxification and treating things naturally. Um, he's a medical doctor. He still uses drugs, but you know, in a, a correct way. And we're going to be talking today about how metals, toxic metals and parasites of various kinds potentially each other. Meaning when you have a certain level of metals, you'll also have a certain and equal level of parasites, including candida, lime, and um, other types of parasites, worms, and things like that. And this is something that we all have. We all have toxic metals. We all have chemicals. We all have parasites. And Dr. Cleanheart talks about the very large amounts that we do have in our body and what to do about it. He goes into depth on the various protocols that he uses with clients, uh, very, very complicated in-depth. Many of them are patented and just really, really interesting conversation and uh, very, very, uh, very important. So Before we get into the podcast, we need to go over the disclaimer. Please keep in mind that this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please keep in mind this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in anything that we suggest today on the show. Our guest is Dr. Dietrich Klinghart. He is the founder of the Sophia Health Institute in uh, Washington, right outside of Seattle. He is internationally known for his successful treatment of pain and illness because he combines non-surgical orthopedic medicine with immunology, endocrinology, toxicology, neural therapy, hypnotherapy, and energy psychology. Dr. Klinghart studied medicine from 1969 to 1975 and psychology from 1975 to 1979 in Freiburg, Germany, completing his PhD in the involvement of the autonomic nervous system in autoimmune disorders, very ahead of his time. Several publications followed, and early in his career, he became interested in the causes of chronic toxicity, especially lead, mercury, environmental pollutants, and electromagnetic fields for the course of illness. While working in India as a junior physician, he encountered Eastern concepts of disease etiology and blended them with his Western training. This laid the foundation for his five-level system of integrative medicine. 
After immigrating to the United States, he spent three years as a full-time emergency physician before becoming medical director of the Santa Fe Pain Center. Increasingly aware of the limitations of conventional medicine when dealing with chronic conditions, he trained in Ericksonian hypnotherapy and began to include body-oriented psychotherapeutic and counseling approaches in his work, along with neurotherapy, mesotherapy, injection techniques, and applied psychoneurobiology, uh, psychokinesiology, and mental field therapy. Since the 1970s, Dr. Klingart has contributed significantly to the understanding of metal toxicity and its connection with chronic infections, illness, and pain. He is considered an authority on this subject and has been instrumental in advancing various fields within biological medicine, non-invasive pain management, injection techniques for pain and orthopedic dysfunction, anti-aging medicine, toxicology, pediatrics, neurodevelopmental disorders, energy psychology, biological dentistry, and others. He has also developed autonomic response testing, a comprehensive diagnostic system that has helped many practitioners to become accomplished holistic physicians. You can learn more about Dr. Klinghardt at Klinghardt Academy, Klinghardt Institute, and sophiahi.com. Wow, that was a mouthful. <laughs> Dr. Klinghardt, thank you so much for coming on the show. Pleasure. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? I was uh, born and raised in Germany, in Berlin, actually, and went to medical school there. After medical school, also studied psychology for a few years while doing my PhD. My PhD was on the relationship of the autonomic nervous system with the immune system, uh, which at the time was not many people were interested in that. <laughs> but it has become a big uh, issue uh, in the recent years. Um, after that, I worked for a few years in India in a hospital and then moved to the U.S. I've been here since 1982, so I spent most of my professional life here. Well, we are happy to have you. We're honored yeah, to have thank, you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it's been 42 years I've been in medicine now, and it feels like I'm just getting started. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's gotten pretty interesting. Uh, I think one of the things I like to say um, here is that um, the illnesses that people have today are very, very different from the illnesses that I learned about in medical school. And unfortunately, most medical doctors that come from medical school today are still trained in illnesses that they will never see in their life and are not prepared for the illnesses that they will actually see has to do largely with the professors haven't been out in the field in 20 years and um, lecture about things that no longer exist. Wow. So. Yeah, that's really profound because a lot of our illnesses today are due to toxins. And, and what is your, your opinion also about some of the underlying causes of the diseases that we're seeing today? Well, I think it's, it's pretty clear that most chronic illnesses are really environmental illnesses. Um, are caused by uh, exposure to toxins and uh, electromagnetic radiation uh, as a sum total. And that really explains everything else that we see, including the chronic viral infection, the Lyme disease, the parasites, are all secondary to that. Yeah, I really started paying attention more to EMF, and I was having a lot of sleep issues and uh, fixed it doing some energy medicine and 
you know, protecting my body from EMFs, my you know, little hedron sticker on my cell phone and things of that nature. Um, so my favorite topic is detox. Um, can you talk to us a little bit today about how toxins are affecting our health so dramatically today? Yes. Um, so in the 80s, the most uh, prevalent toxin that we encountered was lead and mercury. And that picture gradually changed, you know, so in the late 80s, uh, glyphosate entered the picture, you know, different herbicides that are used so abundantly in our agrochemistry. And uh, the, the use of herbicides has uh, multiplied uh, unbelievably and insanely. Uh, and uh, today, even in the U.S., even organic crops or organic food uh, contain still 80% of the same herbicide amount that non-organically grown food has. And um, that certainly uh, has moved on the toxicology screen up to the top. Uh, we were dealing until the late 90s uh, very much with the ethyl mercury that was put in the vaccines that was taken out and replaced uh, with aluminum. And now sort of the picture in the last 20 years has shifted very much to where the main culprit of what we find uh, as participating in chronic illness is aluminum, uh, not just from the vaccines, but it's mostly uh, coming from the polluted air, from uh, aerial spraying uh, for climate control purposes that's everywhere uh, every day now. And so we're inhaling it and inhaled aluminum. We have no barriers to and so uh, the picture has changed quite a bit over the last 40 years what we are dealing with and um, recent estimates uh, from fat biopsies that not I've done but done at different universities around the planet uh, show uh, that on average a healthy patient has uh, approximately 20,000 different chemicals in their tissues and the sick patient, the sicker we are, the number goes up way over 30,000. And of course, um, commercially available, we have only lab tests for maybe 20 or 30 of these. So that gives you an idea um, that, that medicine is uh, in intentionally uh, behind and being able to diagnose the true causes of our illness. And so that is why the whole toxicology really has been pushed into the hands of us alternative practitioners or unlicensed practitioners that are you know, trying to find their way with their patients uh, in that toxic soup that we're swimming in and trying to help people. Um, but there's very little guidance given um, the, the College of Toxicology, you know, the, the main group in America that uh, is responsible for protecting us uh, in this way and uh, digging up the research basically holds the position once you're toxic you're toxic there's nothing that can be done we need to deal with prevention and their preventive uh, suggestions are always 20 30 years behind you know they're now telling us how to prevent lead toxicity um, <laughs> where lead, yeah where lead pretty much has left the environment you know 20 or 30 years ago and uh, amalgam fillings are still okay, even though we know they release mercury in the system. And the spraying of the skies with aluminum and barium is completely fine um, because it's so far away from us <laughs> that it doesn't matter. 
And so we have uh, we have a real um, situation here. And so this is completely new and man-made uh, that the matrix, you know, our connective tissue is loaded uh, with chemicals that the body has so far managed in some unbelievable uh, smart way to compartmentalize so they don't react with each other. And uh, chronic illness is basically a failure of um, containing the, the toxic soup in us. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and then we know, of course, that whenever the inner milieu becomes toxic, um, the immune system uh, increasingly loses its ability to uh, govern this area in appropriate ways. And this is where the pathogens grow. You know, so pathogens uh, uniformly grow in areas that have been contaminated with man-made chemicals, not God-made chemicals, those ones we deal with well, but with man-made chemicals. And um, it, it is a fertile ground upon which uh, pathogens develop in our system. And uh, it's a pretty simple story. You know, I have this model of the three buckets that are full you know the, the there is always an equilibrium when you have a certain toxic level in the system the level of pathogens is equal to that because the, the more toxins you have those are the areas wherever those are compartmentalized that's a proper term um, the body is unable to control the pathogens and they take up that space and then of course uh, the question is well where are the body areas that become toxic and that is different for all of us that has to do very much with physical and psychological trauma you know when when uh, for example if you had a concussion as a child um, there's certain lymph pathways in the brain that no longer work properly there's going to be edema in some areas there's going to be diminished blood flow in some areas and that's where the pathogens will settle but first of all the toxins that's where the Aluminum and mercury gets deposited, and the glyphosate and the atrazine, and what all their names are, get settled. And then, very shortly afterwards, the pathogens move into the area and create chronic immune battle you know, with the immune system that is dysfunctional in the area. So, you get inflammation in the brain. The same is true, you know, if you had um, a blunt trauma to the chest. It will be your lung, or if abdominal trauma, it will be the abdomen, you know, where things settle. Um, but you can pretty much uh, determine by the history of the patient where the weak spots will be. And of course, a, a huge component of that is the psychological history. Any trauma um, that we've been through in childhood has a certain um, emotional connotation, you know, each trauma, so it can be labeled, okay, this is a, an abandonment issue, or this is a, a fear issue, you know, or this is an anger issue, and then each emotion has a certain place, organ in the body where it expresses itself and compromises the health of that area, and that's where the toxins will settle in higher concentration. And this is where the parasites and infectious agents will settle and grow. And that's sort of usually then the patient that we find. You know, you have a patient that got parasites in the liver and in the small intestine. You've got other patients where the parasites, cystisarcosis, for example, have found their way into the brain. Uh, we got Lyme carditis, you know, uh, Lyme disease in the heart. 
rather than in the joint and muscles. You know, other people, it's the knee joint or the hip joint or the shoulder joint. And it's very specific to, to the history of the patient. Why do you think Lyme disease is so much more prevalent today than it was in the past? Well, it's, of course, um, a loaded uh, question. Mm -hmm. So first of all, um, the definition of Lyme disease has changed quite a bit. So today, we are including in the broader definition of Lyme disease all um, infectious diseases that have been introduced through insect bites. And so we know that tick bites are not the most common reason how people get Lyme disease. You know, um, flea bites, spider bites, lice, um, uh, stinging flies are much more common as the original uh, place how people get it. And then we have a whole list of infections now that cause vaguely the same symptoms as the original um, sensu stricto Lyme disease does, you know, the Borrelia burgdorferi, that is one type, you know, it creates a certain set of symptoms, fatigue, brain fog, joint problems, and so on and so forth. But there is now rickettsia, there is elichia, anaplasma, there's babesia, bartonella, uh, tularemia, there, there's many other illnesses that cause virtually the same uh, symptom complex. And uh, so there's many reasons why the illnesses are becoming so prevalent right now. Uh, one, of course, is climate change, which right now we have a incumbent president who still believes uh, that climate change doesn't exist. Oh. So we have somebody who is uh, somebody now will be in office who is in complete denial of the of the truth and the science of it. It's going to be interesting years coming up. Um, further, you know, pushing the planet towards a planet of further extinction, you know, that's very clear. Um, but uh, so Lyme disease, because the the, uh, the factors that transfer Lyme disease, you know, the insects are uh, spreading now to areas uh, in larger amounts where they ever were before. Um, we never, you know, I live in the state of Washington and in the forest here, we never had mosquitoes now we do you know with the milder winters and the milder climate and um and that's one part but the other part that's of course more sinister is that many of the genetic experts that i know have shown that the genome of the lyme disease that we have now is very different from the genome that was identified in the iceman Ötzi 5300 years ago you know the guy who was frozen in the Austrian Alps, he had Lyme disease. Mm. He had Borrelia burgdorferi, and that bug had 27 genes. Now we have some Lyme spirochetes that have over 600 genes mm. that does not ex uh, exist in nature. Yeah, there's a very clearly that's a genetically engineered bug. We don't know where. You know, of mm. course, the Americans would say it's probably the Russians. The Russians would say it's the Americans. Mm. <laughs> um, Somebody had the hands in it and created a very uh, virulent type of Lyme bug, you know, that puts people into bed for decades um, and, and has created the severe illness that we mostly have seen uh, since the spread of Lyme disease from Lyme, Connecticut, 
the mother bed seems to have been there for this vicious type of Lyme infection. You know, sort of, we, we don't see that in Germany or Europe, Switzerland, we have milder forms of the illness. Uh, this form of the illness has not arrived over there. So um, this is just to say, say a few things. You know, so there is other reasons. There's reports now that uh, Lyme cysts, you know, so Lyme exists in three different forms. The spirochete form, if you give antibiotics, it withdraws from this form, gives off its cell wall, slips into biofilm, and becomes a so-called L form without the cell wall. And if you further threaten it, it slips in the cell and gets into the cystic state, and those cysts are nearly indestructible. But uh, people that have investigated the persistent contrails, you know, the stuff that sprayed on us from the air have found uh, viable Lyme cysts in the spray that comes down on us. And so I don't think we have to look very far why the illness is spreading so fast, why it spread so fast. Um, some of it is natural and some of it is not. Yeah, that's a very, very interesting take on Lyme disease. So thank you for sharing that. And mm. so let's talk about parasites and mm. their relationship and, and other types of parasites, candida and fungus and things like that, and their relationship to toxic metals. And I've heard you say in other talks before that when you begin detoxing metals, that parasites and parasitic infections can begin to surface um, why is that exactly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, in the biological literature, there's a lot of articles published that show that many parasites um, have the ability to extract toxic metals from their host and condense it into their skin, into their cell wall. Uh, many of the worms, the parasitic worms, ascaris, uh, tapeworms, uh, uh, echinococcus, there's many of them, uh, hookworms, have the ability to extract from you your lead, your mercury, and condense it into their body. That uh, has two effects. One effect is you survive because you don't die anymore from the mercury toxicity. But the other effect is now you have to live with the worm. You know, it's a, it's a deal. It's a deal that's made. And uh, of course, that moves the parasite really out of the definition of a parasite and it becomes a symbiotic creature that we all need right now for our survival. In an ever-increasing toxic world, um, our genetically uh, present detox systems, detox enzymes are insufficient for the environment that we have created. And so our own detox system plus the parasites are giving us a fair chance of survival because of that. Yeah, so that's, that's published as numerous, um, uh, actually one of the key sentences in some of these articles is parasites act as sinks for the pollutants of the host. Yeah, that's sort of the key sentence. If you Google that, you'll find a number of articles published on that. And so, in uh, reverse engineering, why do we have parasites? So the first thing is that we're toxic. And it is the body that can no longer administrate 
the the microbiome that we have if there's too many pathogens or um, too many toxins in our system the the biology is very very clever it resorts to like a second tier of defenses and one of them is to grow uh, parasites. The same is true for mold. There's numerous articles, including one that I published in the 80s, um, that show uh, that candida and other yeasts and molds have the ability to store uh, multiple their own body weight of metals in their cell wall. And uh, candida always appears where there's mercury. You know, so that's that's been published like since the 1960s. Numerous times, nobody pays attention to it. But if you if you have a patient with uh, intractable candida, you know, or keeps relapsing with it, please, you know, detox the mercury, and the candida will disappear on its own without needing any help. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's those kinds of observations. And then with the parasites, of course, there's another issue. Uh, one issue is that Lyme disease. And many of the infections I mentioned before, uh, in the sum total immunosuppressive. So are some of the herpes viruses, you know, Epstein Barr, uh, herpes type six. They're very immunosuppressive. They're sort of like we call it AIDS minor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So they cause similar symptoms to AIDS, just weaker. And one of the things those infections are causing is a lowered uh, threshold for for microbes to enter our system. So it, it basically it opens our doors to become infected with parasites and other things that would otherwise not make it into our system. You know? mm-hmm. So we first need the first strike, something that immobilizes our gatekeepers, mm-hmm. different aspects of the immune system. And when, when the threshold is lowered, then a lot of microbes and larger pathogens can cross into our system that otherwise would not make it. And of course, we don't. We haven't seen a patient in 20 years that doesn't have Epstein Barr, that doesn't have herpes type six, that doesn't have cytomegaly, that doesn't have the different types of herpes infections. We haven't seen anyone. If we do enough testing, we find on everybody, and so everybody has a, a compromised immune system. You know, and then um, it is very rare, and we may get to that in this talk or not to find somebody who is not testing positive for Borrelia. You know, we developed a special PCR test. Uh, The first 150 patients that we tested, two of them did not have Borrelia, Mm. two out of 150. And some of these people were healthy, uh, husbands, wives, uh, children of a family member that was ill. So out of 150, two negative, that probably means that you have it and I have it. (laughs) Um, it's very rare that we don't. And so knowing that uh, Borrelia itself, but also Babesia, Bartonella are all immunosuppressive. Um, and so are the chemicals in us. You know, glyphosate is hugely immunosuppressive. Atrazine is totally screws up our hormonal system and our defenses in other ways. Uh, mercury is immunosuppressive. It's an anti-inflammatory, you know, in medicine still in some countries. And so... The sum total of the viral illnesses, the bacterial illnesses, the heavy metal load is immunosuppressive. And then parasites that otherwise would not have made it into our system are now flourishing in us. And in fact, are uh, to a large degree symbiotic. 
that means they actually help us survive a toxic environment. And so they're very misunderstood. And maybe let me say this last thing before we get into other areas. What is really important to know is that when you treat parasites, you want to first use strategies that get the parasite out as a whole with its metals in the coat, mm. rather than killing it with a strategy that dissolves the parasite in the tissues where it is, because it will release all the toxic crap back into your system. And so in terms of parasite treatment, we've really changed the, the way we're proceeding with that understanding the adjacent toxicity issues. Wow. Yes. And so let's talk about some of the ways that you prefer to detox parasites. I mean, I, there's a lot of few different ones. So maybe mm. let's talk about, you know, uh, candida first. What is the best way to go about doing that? Because a lot of candida treatments you see have, um, you know, caprylic acid and other things, uh, yeast enzymes and things that break them down. Um, yeah. What kind of things do you like to use to remove them whole, intact with their metals? Yeah. So th uh, the first really first issue there is detoxification. You know, we need to get the the metals down that are in the tissues, um, so that the only metals left are the ones in the parasites in the in the yeast. And so the uh, with the parasite program, you know, we do have medical approaches, you know, using DMPS, DMSA, D-penicillamine, um, EDTA. There's a whole host, you know, IV vitamin C, IV alpha-lipoic acid. There's a whole host of, uh, of techniques, none of which really are really satisfying. You know, out of all these published, DMPS is the best, and most physicians, unfortunately, are still afraid of using it because there have been some unjust bad-mouthing of it uh, on the internet. And so, you know, people, instead of reading scientific literature, they read blogging uh, on the internet, which is often intentionally seeded by special interests to not go there. And so, um, before, uh, when we have, a, of course, if you have a case, you know, that, let's say somebody has a fresh occurrence of candida in the last two weeks, of course, you put them on a sugar-free diet and you give them some anti-yeast, uh, whatever, you know, caprylic acid is fine, nystatin is fine. You know, you can use ozonated water, you can use ozonated oils, which we prefer to use. So, but talking about the chronic, the chronic cases, the chronic persistent cases of candida, and candida is a very real issue. But, you know, there's aspergillus, there's many other molds and yeast that grow in us, but candida is a special one because it is the most creative. It has the the um, longest genome and it's the most adaptive. It, it can create a lot of uh, different mycotoxins. So the first thing is you need to pull the metals down, at least with whatever method you have. We, we prefer... Um, I, I was involved over the last 20 years you know, with some studies on the ionic foot bath. Uh, you know, you stick your feet in salt water and it's an electric current that runs through a coil. And um, as a response to that, people dramatically increase their metal excretion through the kidneys and in the poop. Forget what's in the water, you know, but there is a huge turn on of spontaneous metal excretion, even in the sickest patients. Mm. That can be amplified by giving people 
cilantro extract. You know, so that's that's our preferred method. However, it involves people buy a foot bath, you know, which is expensive. It's anywhere between a thousand and two thousand dollars. Um, so that was my preferred method. Otherwise, um, we use uh, I use like to use the medical drugs, DMPS, DMSA, uh, to bring the metals down. That's step number one. Step number two, what people suffer from. It's not the yeast, it's not the candida, it's the mycotoxins that the that are excreted by the bugs. I used to work together with the Swiss mold researcher, and we showed when we expose mold to Wi-Fi, the excretion of mycotoxins per hour increases 600-fold. Hmm. 600-fold. So... Currently, the main problem with mold yeast, the whole Richie Shoemaker kind of protocol on mm. on how to deal with mold, has overlooked that simple fact that yes, we always had mold in homes, and mold illness, in the way we're seeing it right now, is a new phenomenon. That mold illness does not exist if you strip the moldy environment of the Wi-Fi. Mm. Yeah, and so. We have a whole teaching for our patients of how to do that, you know, how to go back to a broadband connection, Ethernet, whatever it is. Uh, the Wi-Fi box needs to be shielded. Um, smart meters need to be abandoned on the, on the outside of the house. Uh, often the house needs to be shielded uh, from the nearby cell phone tower. And then the mold becomes a non-issue. You know, so I like to say that here. So the first step, number one, get rid of the metal. Step number two, you have to shield the home from Wi-Fi, which can get expensive in some areas, but for most of the time, it's very, very doable. But the um, the resistance in America here is very, very big because especially husbands <laughs> uh, in autistic families, you know, the, the main obstacle to getting autistic kids well, usually here in the U.S. is the husbands, who have very strong opinions, but refuse to read any scientific literature. You know, that's the yeah, typical American husband, very opinionated, but no real information. And so when we tell families that, listen, here's my instructions of how to shield the home or so, the moment they go home, the husband says, we're not going to do that, that's bullshit. Hmm. You, give them you give them published literature, they refuse to read it. And so we're going to enter a similar area now with Donald Trump, yeah, with very strong opinions, but um, um, already says he's going to refuse to read the briefs that he gets every day, you know, with the scientific information that's available. So we, we'll see. You know, we're entering a dream world that could turn out really good mm. or really bad. But in terms of treating candida, so step number one, get the metals down, step number two, uh, you protect from Wi-Fi and other electric fields, and step number three is then to reduce the mold mm -hmm. you know, with whatever method you, you have available depending on your license. You know, I, as a medical doctor, I like some of the medical drugs are wonderful, you know, amphotericin B is wonderful, Sporanox is a fantastic antifungal with very, very little side effects. You know, and um, so when people have insurance, we, we look, have to look at that. You know, Sporanox is very expensive. 
So if people have no insurance, we go to the natural alternatives. We, I like from my favorite yeast treatment is from BioPure. It's a, a mix of ozonated plant oils. It's called Rhizol Gamma or O3 oil gamma. That's absolutely fantastic, you know, for the treatment of molds. It's as effective as Ornox, but it's it's a liquid and doesn't taste that great, and you have to drink it three times a day. You know, but that's sort of my my take on yeast. And with mold, you have to, of course, you have to look that the home, uh, the water damage in homes is corrected and and some homes certainly are not livable, you know, are not living spaces in the US, and they have to be evacuated. You know, people have to, in my patient, that happens about, I'd say once a month, that I have a patient where I need to tell them, sorry, but you have to get out of the house. Yeah. You, know, you cannot stay there. So that's a reality, you know, but keep in mind, you, know, you have mold in the house, you're adding in what bring in Wi-Fi, it produces the same mold produces 600 times more biotoxins, more microtoxins per hour than it would otherwise. Well, yeah. do you have a way to absorb those mycotoxins? I like to use Pectisol C or modified citrus pectin uh, with clients to absorb chemicals and metals and things like that. Is there any kind of similar product that you like to use to absorb mycotoxins? Yeah. Well, the, uh, the first, the thing is, of course, how to neutralize the biotoxins in the air or in the walls, you know, where you are. So we use the, the product called EM, you know, effective microbes. They're kind of sprayed in the house. They're enzyme-producing healthy microbes that compete with the mold and uh, will hugely reduce the presence of mold. And the other one, we use an Italian system, is vaporizing propolis at exactly 82 degrees Celsius, uh, creates a monoatomic vapor of propolis, and propolis is very, very strong, negatively charged, and microtoxins are very strong, positively charged, and so they find each other, and it creates a glob, and it falls to the ground, so it cleans the house up very, very quickly, quickly within one or two hours. There's some amazing studies in Italy on curing MS and curing asthma in children, within six weeks of doing that in the house. So that's the first step is, you know, of course, you know, if there's walls that are moldy and there's black mold, they need to be torn down and need to be replaced and all that. That's step number one. But then how to extract and bind the circulating microtoxins in the body. Yeah, Richie Shoemaker uses, you know, cholesteramine. That's the most published, it's a medical drug. It's an exchange resin that extracts out of the bloodstream uh, microtoxins, but there's Russian research that shows that certain forms of zeolite um, are far superior, not, not equal, but superior to cholesteramine in extracting mycotoxins from the bloodstream. So that has become my favorite treatment and works beautiful. You know, we found the zeolite uh, that the Russians are recommending. You know, it's in the, the BioPure company. Mm. Um, and that is safe and works good. Zeolite is a, a dangerous item in general, you know, because zeolite technically is aluminum silicate, and we already have too much aluminum. You know, and so this is a, a silica compound, where the ratio aluminum to silica 
is 1 to 6.5. So the 6.5 times more silica than aluminum in that zeolite. And that compound is hungry to bind more aluminum. So it doesn't only extract microtoxin, but also extracts aluminum and mercury. Um, we use chlorella still. You know, that's my old standby drug that binds everything toxic. And uh, chlorella has a very good binding coefficient for microtoxins. You know, so that's not to be neglected. But the, the items that you mentioned certainly also are effective. And so, you know, we use muscle testing or other techniques, you know, to determine which for the patient is the best. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be tolerated and not constipating. You know, that's the trouble with cholesteramine is very constipating. And it's, you know, the, the only reason it's known is because it's patented. And so, therefore, much of the research money has been dedicated has been paid for by the company that produces it and so it looks here like that's the major compound that does the binding of microtoxins but the russians are free of that and they published that the zeolite is superior to it and so that's what we're using because it's natural and it doesn't constipate what is the product by biopure that contains the zeolite that you like it's called Zeobind. Okay, great. And so what is the brand of ionic foot baths that you like? That's something that I'm very interested in. Is there any you know, company or brand that you recommend for those? Well, the, the company that has done the research on autism and uh, that's still not published yet, so I, I'm not totally sure how trustworthy it is, but it looks like it's the... Um, the Rolls Royce of, Rolls of it is called uh, um, Ion Cleanse, okay. and but that's uh, about two thousand dollars a foot bath, and we have a, a Canadian company that makes a foot bath for about a thousand dollars, and we feel it is probably as good, um, but I don't know the name of it. Okay. But you know there is hundreds of producers of these foot baths out now. You can buy a foot bath on the Chinese websites for like $200. Um, and I'm sure they still do some of the job. Mm -hmm. But um, the iron plants is the one that is the most research behind it right now. Or, or let's put it this way, they set the price of the foot bath so high that they have enough of a profit margin to finance some research. Yeah, exactly. Which as a, <laughs> as a scientist, I want to honor. And so that's the name I'm aware of. Okay, great. And so let's talk a, a more about Lyme disease. So, uh, you know, from what I understand, to reverse Lyme disease or to improve symptoms, you also have to detox the body. Can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, I just published a book um, in German, <laughs> The Biological Treatment of Lyme Disease. And so I had to review my own cases for the last 20 years and also. You probably know that I teach a lot in Europe, and in Europe I have about 2,000 doctors that follow my advice, and I get all the emails, and so over the years we refine our Lyme approach. Yeah, so just kind of to say this is not just me working in a small office, kind of having a one-to-one -one experience with a few patients, and then blogging about it like most everybody else does, you know, but this is a collective experience of thousands of dogs and their patients, you know, however many that may be. And so um, there's four pillars of the treatment you know, for Lyme disease. So pillar number one, and this is where most people stop, 
is you have to correct the basic physiology. Yeah? So when, when you have Lyme for a while, the chronic Lyme disease or persistent Lyme disease, as it's called now, uh, many of the things go off. Your hormones go off. Your uh, protein digestion is down. Um, you get mineral deficient. Um, your pH goes off. Your osmolality in the tissues goes off. And you have to correct those things. Now, this is pretty much the domain of alternative medicine or naturopathic medicine. You give people vitamins to correct perceived deficiencies. You, you give them minerals because you find in the hair analysis that they're deficient in this and that. You know, so that's correcting the basic physiology. Now, most people stop there. <laughs> that's what they do for a living. And you know, if you don't address anything deeper than that, you can make a lot of money off the same patient because they're going to get better and they're going to get worse and they're going to get better and they're going to get worse. But it's step number one. Step number two is detoxification. The The reason for that is pretty simple. Um, uh, several of the toxins produced by Lyme, by Borrelia, one is quinolinic acid. There are several others that have been identified now. Um, all have the property that they immobilize, first overwhelm and then immobilize our own detox systems. That means the chronic Lyme patient has often been unable for 20 years to detox aluminum, to, de to throw out mercury, to throw out lead, and you become a bioaccumulator. And the, in order to treat Lyme disease, you need to have a lot of functional systems in the body. And so to free up those blocked enzyme systems, you have to engage in detoxification. Yeah? And so we use colonics, we use lymph drainage massage, we use, um, this is after the parasite treatment, you know, that kind of goes first. Um, you, um, you engage in, in detox of glyphosate, you know, that's usually sauna therapy and oil drawing, you know, we chew on oil for 15 minutes a day. Um, you have to, as much as still possible, do some light exercise to move the fluids through the body. And then you have to bring agents on board that unblock the enzymes, like um, chlorella does a fantastic job, cilantro does a fantastic job. Uh, many of the herbs, curcumin, you know, detoxes mercury that's published. So there's many of the herbal things are wonderful and you don't really need medical drugs. But for us, it's a simple way out. Okay, we gave them a couple of DMPS shots. We give them some DMSA at night, you know, and that hugely frees up a lot of the systems that are blocked so they can cooperate with the treatment that comes. Mm -hmm. you know? And step number three, so this, you know, first is you correct the basic physiology. Step number two, detoxification. Step number three is probably the most important is immune modulation. You know, so in Lyme disease, that's very clear to most of us now, 90% of the symptoms or the volume of the symptoms is the patient's own immune reactions to the microbes and to the toxins. It's not the presence of the microbes itself that makes you sick. Yeah, it's not that the microbes in their activity making you sick. <coughs> it's your, the microbes embed themselves into your cells. We know that you know, Lyme's wild kids live inside the neurons they live inside your brain cells, they live inside your thyroid cells, they live inside your pancreatic cells, and the, the immune system attacks the cells that are hosting the bugs, 
And so now you get this whole host of autoimmune type reactions, you know, where your immune system is attacking, slashing around every system in your body. And it's, again, quite dependent on your psychological history. Yeah? So if you had like um, a fear conflict that's unresolved from your childhood, it will be your kidneys and adrenals that are attacked. You know, if it is, if your father was angry and violent, yes, it will be your liver that's attacked. Uh, so it's pretty predictable where the immune system will do its most havoc. And so to to modulate the immune system, you can do that twofold. One is to use a variety of herbs that are both immunomodulatory and anti-Lyme. That's one of the major things that we do. Um, Stephen Booner you know, and others have published um, a selection of herbs that have that ability you know, to work very immune modulating. That means they downregulate the overactive parts of your immune system and wake up the sleeping parts of your system. Um, the new kit on the block is LDI, you know, low dose immunotherapy, you know, where um, you use the dilution of the, the same bugs you know, that are offending you, that make you sick. You uh, take a culture and then make a dilution in a homeopathic way. And then there's going to be a certain dilution that's a pretty exact dilution that neutralizes the uh, immune reactions you have towards the bugs. And the patient will become sometimes overnight asymptomatic. It doesn't mean they don't have the Lyme bugs anymore, but they have no more overshooting immune reactions uh, that will lead to the body much more effectively dealing with the microbes. You know? So... Uh, that's step number three is immune modulation. You can also, homeopathy uh, has a huge place in that. I, I want to uh, mention here like a study that was done a couple of years ago in Cuba, an axis of evil country. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and what they, uh, what they did, Cuba, uh, every winter for about four months have a huge flare-up of leptospirosis. It's a very Lyme-related illness. It's another spirochete you know, that causes huge illness in Cuba where uh, hundreds of thousands of people are affected every year. And then uh, Cuba had its own kind of medicine, which we all love. You know, Anyone who knows about it, they did acupuncture in medical school, they learned homeopathy in medical school. And so these researchers asked the question, can we prevent the outbreak of leptospirosis by using this immune modulation. So they gave, I forgot the exact number, either 60,000 or 80,000 of the Cubans one single dose of a homeopathic leptospirosis, one single dose, and they reduced the incidence of this illness by 80%. Mm. One single dose. You know, this is immune modulation. It's not a small thing. It's just been poo-pooed here, and you know, homeopathy was attacked for so long, and sometimes maybe for for good reasons, you know, because there is a uh, very scientific way of using homeopathy. You don't need any esoteric or religious theory uh, to <laughs> to explain the effects of it. Mm. So that's immune modulation, and then the last part of the Lyme treatment should be reducing the overall body burden of the microbes. You know? And that's, of course, unfortunately, most so-called Lyme literal doctors start with number four. They don't know any about the other three. 
And then uh, depending on who people are, um, most people leave out one of these four and you can't really succeed in lastingly getting rid of the illness. But we have a very, very, very good success rate with a purely biological approach without using antibiotics. I'm not against antibiotics, but I just think it's stupid to use antibiotics when you can use an herbal cocktail. Yeah, so for us, the, the last part, um, I developed you know, an herbal cocktail that we've refined over the last 20 years. It's a number of liposomal herbs that are put together in a certain way, They're imprinted with some frequencies. It's again, BioPure is a product, I'm not here to advertise it, you know, mm -hmm. but it's called the cocktail. Mm -hmm. And the, the average patient starts with five drops four times a day. And already at that dose, many of the patients get uh, mild die-off effects. And then we titrate the dose slowly up as people tolerate it. And um, that's combined with sublingual hyaluronic acid which we use as bait, it's the fodder, it's the food that spirochetes love and they come out of the hiding places, out of biofilm when you increase the amount of hyaluronic acid in the bloodstream. And the last one is a Mediterranean herb called Cistus incanus or Mediterranean rock rose. It makes a wonderful tasting tea and that has been found to be the best biofilm breaker for Lyme disease. It has been found to prevent insect bites, especially tick bites and stinging fly bites. And it has, amongst all the herbs that was tested in the study, the highest borreliocidal index. That means it kills spirochetes. So it's an ideal herb. So we're combining those things, the lime cocktail, the hyaluronic acid, and this, and with that, uh, our patients tend to get well. Mm. Wow. Yeah, and I know that a lot of Lyme doctors, they're not doing anything except giving antibiotics. So, you know, it's not surprising. There's not a very high uh, rate of success with their patients. So are you, uh, you know, reversing Lyme disease completely or are you just kind of modulating their immune system to keep the Lyme disease in check? Well, um, Alan McDonald, you know, he was the original pathologist involved with Lyme, and he examined a whole host of Lyme patients that believed they had recovered, they were uh, asymptomatic for many years after initial, initial diagnosis and treatment, and did tissue biopsies, and on all of them he found viable spirochetes and viable cystic forms of Lyme. Um, there is a new um, hope uh, in the antibiotic uh, compartment of our, of our group, <laughs> Uh, Daptomycin and Dapson, uh, the, the two antimicrobials that have been shown in vitro, not in vivo, so just in the laboratory setting, to uh, be able to kill uh, Lyme cysts. Um, pretty high doses, but it's unrealistic to assume when you uh, put an antibiotic in a person that you will achieve a high enough concentration inside the cells to kill the cystic form. The Lyme cysts have been shown, you can put them in straight hydrochloric acid and pull them back out and they're still viable. Mm. You can expose them to 600 degrees temperature for, for quite a while. You cool them down, they're still viable. And you think that with a very, very diluted antibiotic, you can kill them. It's very unrealistic. and so. We are very, very happy with 
putting Lyme into a dormant state in the person and having the patient maintain that status for the rest of their life. People live out normal lifespans, you know, without shortening their life, without increased incidence of any illness. And the uh, what they need to do, they need to take a small amount of the herbal cocktail every day. But the herbal cocktail is also life extending, it's anti-aging, mm-hmm. it balances the hormones, it is anti-parasitic, it's anti-yeast, um, it is um, anti-cancer. Yeah, and so the side effect is, you know, that you not only that you don't get a relapse of the Lyme, but that you're preventing a whole host of other illnesses. And so I don't, you know, instead of people taking 60, 70, 80 different senseless vitamins every day, um, they take an herbal tincture twice a day, you know, as a prevention of relapse. And yes, um, we're all waiting for the day, you know, when somebody says, we found the solution of how to kill the persistent form of Lyme disease. Everybody can kill the spirochetes. Yeah, so maybe a little bit from the literature. Yeah, so uh, an article that I often quote in my lectures shows when people are treated with antibiotics, one-third of patients get well or, or significantly better, but two-thirds of patients get lastingly worse lastingly worse. So should I give a treatment that has a one in three chance of getting a patient better, but the two in three chance of making them worse? This is like doing Russian roulette, but instead of putting one bullet in, putting six bullets in, you know, if, if you have nine, nine chambers, you know, you put six bullets in and then twist the chamber and hope you're going to hit one of the blanks. You know, that's not not acceptable for me, and, and just the statistics of that are are not looking very good. And so, um, antibiotic treatments have improved. There is a role for it. Um, the I mentioned before this devastating form of Lyme disease that is spreading from the east coast uh, to the rest of the world. Um, sometimes you have to use antibiotics just as a stopgap measure to get people out of the, the life-threatening situation because they work quicker than other things. But uh, in terms of long-term strategy, um, antibiotics should be the extra, should be the icing on the cake. It shouldn't be the cake. Yes. Yeah, and so, so what are some of the more common parasites uh, that you see in clients and how do you go about addressing those? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I'd say the the most common parasite we see is the ropeworm. Yeah, you know, that sort of uh, the one thing where there's still a lot of arguments going on: is it a biofilm? <laughs> is it really a creature? Is it um, uh, is it just shedded uh, inner lining of the gut? You know, there's a lot of discussion going on. But the the truth is, when the ropeworm comes out, people have dramatic improvements in their health. And so whatever that thing is, you know, and so the, the treatment for that that we use are the Gubarev protocols. They're patented protocols from a Russian scientist. Yeah, the first one uh, is uh, doing an enema with milk and salt. Hmm. And the problem with that, you have to hold it for two hours. You know, and parasites love milk. Hmm. They come from the hiding places into the gut to feast on the milk. Mm. And uh, but they cannot send salt, and the salt paralyzes them. 
So when you then have a cleansing enema afterwards, um, the rope comes out with it, hmm. at least often. Yeah, And so that's step number one. And then there's a certain sequence. The third one, so and you do these enemas every four days. Yeah? And so you do the first one, it's the milk. If, if it's productive, you stay with the milk until nothing comes out anymore, and then you move on to the next one. And the most dramatic one is the third one, using eucalyptus leaves and eucalyptus oil in an animal. Again, you have to hold it for two hours. Mm -hmm. And with this, we have pictures, people having parasites come out of the nose, out of the eyes, out of the mouth, uh, out of the ears. Wow. So unusual, <laughs> unusual places. Uh, and people that never believed they had any parasites, you know, we diagnosed it differently. And so the Google protocols are excellent and they're, they're chemically extremely safe. And the parasites come out as a whole with the metals that they're stored in their mm -hmm. coat. Yeah. And so we start with that and then we move on to, I like the medical drugs. We, we, my my mentor in this area has been Simon Hugh, a physician from St. Louis, who developed some beautiful protocols, uh, sequencing um, uh, medical drugs. You know, the, the the first one is ivermectin and parental PAMOA, two very safe old bystander worm drugs. You do that for two weeks, and then you use Alinea, which is a really further development from Flagyl. Uh, there's a very wide spectrum of um, antiparasitic uh, qualities and crosses the blood-brain barrier. Mm -hmm. And then you use uh, albendazole. Uh, albendazole, again, is an older drug, a very potent tapeworm drug, and again, one of the only two drugs that cross the blood-brain barriers, uh, Alinea and, and albendazole. And unfortunately, many of our Lyme patients have parasites in the brain. You know, some of them we can demonstrate with the MRI. Some can only be demonstrated by the uh, clinical changes with it. But there is, you know, I use uh, BioPure products. We have a suppository that uh, contains artemisinin. That's the drug that uh, got the Nobel Prize in Medicine a year ago. Uh, it's an extract of wormwood and freeze-dried garlic. And by using rectal suppositories, it gets picked up by the portal vein and gets through the liver and it really cleans out the liver very deeply. Um, we use the Bravo suppository. That's a culture with 42 healthy microbes that are very immune active. Um, there's a, um, a German parasitologist who taught me this, that um, when you have a system infested with parasites, out of the 100% of power that you need to push them out of the system, with the best drug regime, you can at most do 15%. Mm -hmm. And the other 85% have to come out of the patient's own system, the immune system, doing that. And so uh, by treating, uh, treating Lyme, treating the viruses, immune modulating, all the things I mentioned before, we often have to set the stage for the parasites to become treatable. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. There's also published research that shows when you treat parasites just with medical drugs, um, when they did look deeper into the cases, um, they realized they could never clear a system of parasites with medical drugs. You can reduce the body burden, 
mm. but you can clear it. And at the end of the article, they suggest, well, maybe we should combine it with some natural treatments, or maybe then we'll be successful. But uh, parasite treatment has to be long. Um, once you find somebody is affected with it, you don't, <laughs> in medical, you know, bitricide, you know, the instructions are you take one tablet three times a day for one day and you're going to be cured. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we have patients that still after two years of daily parasite treatment are still pooping out big parasites. Mm-hmm. And so it's the thing where people have to be patient and have to be diligent, they have to stay with it. And we have to know that there has been a kind of a conspiracy against developing better antiparasitic drugs. Because you know, parasites are obviously not a problem here, they're a problem in Africa, and so how much should we invest? They don't pay their bills. And so there's been a neglect in in this area in, in development of uh, appropriate medical drugs. And so we're always combining medical drugs with the alternatives, the different herbs, different methods, a lot of colonics, um, mm-hmm. a lot of enemas, and usually the the main improvement happens about two or three months into a parasite treatment. There's some radical shifts in the patient that are very dramatic and positive. But if you go away with the treatment then, because you think you succeeded, it will the system will reestablish itself, and so you have to stay on it with varying courses of different things, you know. And, and I mean, to say the last thing here, you know, Hulda Clark's treatment worked beautiful in the 90s, in the early 90s and late 80s, but it doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, the parasites have changed. They're changing all the time. And last thing I want to say is that the Wi-Fi in the house is a huge driver for uh, that works to, to establish um, a living environment for the parasites but it reduces our immune system. You know, remember the 85% that we need to fight it, they get immobilized by the Wi-Fi and the worms benefit from it, mm-hmm. or at least they don't suffer from it the same way. So it creates an, an imbalance between the two systems and it's a, it's a huge factor. Yeah, I like that you said it, it can take a couple years to detox parasites and that doesn't even factor in uh, re-neutrifying the body and then working on the toxic metals and you can only do one thing at a time. Um, how long do you think it takes to detox the body of metals and chemicals? With, uh, I had, uh, I still do have a very good friend, a dentist, who uh, apprenticed with me, so to say, in the late 80s and he started treating himself with DMPS, um, giving himself a shot once a week while he was working, he was pretty much doing on every TMPS shot, he was doing um, uh, a metal analysis and a urine following. And 12 years later, he still was bringing out huge amounts of mercury. So it gives you an idea. There's a study, uh, Gary Gordon has it on his website on uh, IV EDTA, a three hour IV uh, EDTA once a week. How long does it take? to decrease your body burden of lead by half. And that was the question answered in that in that study. It took seven years. Yeah, yeah. I've had him on my podcast and he said it yeah. takes about ten years to get rid of your lead in your body. Yeah, seven <laughs> years was the was half, the half yeah. point, you know. And so um, and this is, you know, a three hour IV every week, you know, which was one of the stronger treatments. And so 
anything less than that. However, you know, uh, my mentor, uh, uh, Professor Yoshiaki Omura from New York, he uh, repeated that, used the same model, same research model with cilantro. And in cilantro, to get half the lead out, took 39 days. Wow. Yeah. So, and that's since then we do the cilantro in combination with ionic foot bath and we see much more progress in people much quicker than we ever did. Wow. Yeah, and that's uh, just a testament to how toxic, very, very toxic we are and how so important it is to be on a daily detox regimen. You're not going to just do a program for six months and call it a day. No, detox is something, I always say, well, how long should we detox? Well, um, as long as you're breathing, you breathe in aluminum and barium dust. And as long as you're eating, you get a good dose of glyphosate and other herbicides every day. And you know, as long as you're eating fish, you get mercury. <laughs> and half-life of mercury in the body, roughly 32 years. Um, so it's a, it's a difficult situation. So I, I, I teach our patients and I live that way, you know, that I feel if you want to live in this time, especially those of you who still want to have children and you want to make sure that life continues on the planet, you know, sort of, you have to live a life of detoxification to start with. And if you've missed the point, sort of, and you already have the Lyme or the parasites on top of it, it's very, very important to address those issues uh, relatively radically and strongly uh, for a long period of time to give up the American thought, the drive-by kind of healing, you know, so, oh, yeah, do some, yeah, I did detox last weekend. Yeah, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I did my spring juice cleanse. <laughs> and so, uh, and, and it's, I mean, really like the, I mean, all of us know, you know, that the the future of the higher life on the planet is under great attack right now. And and we know we can't go forward like we have. And and it's very, very clear, you know, sort of that for there's going to be two groups of people, the ones that really work hard on maintaining their health in the increasingly toxic and electromagnetically polluted environment, it will take more and more effort to survive and live well in the time that we have. But the reward is going to be that those of you who do that will live and the children of those will live because they're brought up in that kind of way, you know, like, Children that are brought up, you know, with animals and worm treatments, or so they're clearly, you know, when they're in their twenties and thirties, clearly more effective, more um, wiser, more intelligent, mm-hmm. richer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so, and you know, we live in a time now where in the next 10, 15 years, we'll see the extinction of a lot of species. We'll see large groups of population kind of fading, failing. You know, the health. And so understanding those few pillars, you know, that you need to detox, mm-hmm. you need to protect yourself from the electromagnetic environment, you need to treat the, the fungal infections, the bacterial infections, the viral infections, and the parasitic infections. And all of that you cannot do with medical drugs. When you do it with medical drugs, 
you eventually the side effects are going to overcome you. It needs to be biological. It needs to be plant-based. It needs to be through plant adaptogens and to simple methods. And the the combination of biophysics, for example, with a foot bath or a rice machine together with an herbal intervention is clearly going to be the way of the future. And and the treatment with hormones and vitamins has to take a sideline. It has to be a side note. It cannot be the mainstay. It has not worked. You know, the people that come in with their bag with 120 different supplements, they're the sickest people because it ain't working. Yeah. And yeah. published now, you know, it's not the way to go. But the moment you do a colonic, you see the light of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, the moment you're on the right treatment for your heavy metals, you see the light of the day. Yeah, I'm trying to get everyone to do coffee enemas. And it's, mm. it's hard to get people to sign up for that, especially men. Um, but very, very important, incredibly effective. And I was going to ask you about the use of rife or scalar waves in addressing parasites. What do you think are the most effective um, type of energy protocols to destroy parasites? Well, uh, parasites are very sensitive to pulsed electromagnetic fields. Um, we used to have a Russian um, technique, it was called the Sputnik. <laughs> it was a little capsule, the size of a vitamin capsule that was out of metal. And the moment you swallowed it, there was an electric contact made from the fluids in the gut, and it pulsed uh, an electromagnetic field and was extremely effective against most parasites. Also, I witnessed personally healing of a pancreatic cancer with that. And of course, as soon as the FDA got wind of it, it shut it down, you know, because it was actually helping people. And it was very inexpensive, it was like $80 or so uh, for treatment. And so uh, there has been a uh, concerted effort, you know, by the FDA to, to protect the pharmaceutical interest, not the people. And so uh, because of that, the pulsed electromagnetic field techniques are not blossoming in this country. In Russia, that's mostly what people do. They do very little biochemistry, but they do physics. Germany is sort of like somewhere in the middle uh, between both. Now, there is a lot of things that are called called drive machines, and I think uh, a good book to orient with that is Brian Rosner's book, um, Using Rife Machines uh, with Lyme Disease. So he's evaluated as good as he could the uh, the different instruments that are available uh, to give some guidance. Mm-hmm. I'd be careful with scalar waves. You know, scalar waves are uh, in physics at least, and university-based physics, you know, sort of don't exist. Um, and so everybody who has an instrument that works but they don't know how calls it scalar waves. Oh, yeah, it's making scalar waves because they cannot be proven or disproven. <laughs> And according to the highbrow physicists, don't exist to start with. And so I would shy away from using that word, you know, so to just call it pulsed electromagnetic fields, mm-hmm. and yes. then we're on good ground. And, and really beyond that, we call it biophysics, you know, the, the uh, application of physics to biological systems. And uh, this is definitely a missing piece in our current culture. And uh, the unfortunate thing is that research in this area has been suppressed. And so there's now hundreds of different machines that call themselves Rife machines. Um, And some of them work beautifully and others ones don't work at all. And so it's like a little bit like a forest. 
So Brian wrote that book to give people some guidance mm-hmm. with that. And I think it's, it's very uh, good what he did. So how long is your patient waiting list? <laughs> I'm sure it's quite long. I'm sure a lot of people want to work with you. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I surrounded myself with some very good doctors. You know, and so usually when patients come here, they first see one of the doctors that work with me. And then when the doctor identifies that it's a difficult case, which most of them are, then I jump in. And so that's a bit unpredictable. But we have um, six docs that work with me. They all follow the same a diagnostic work, the same guidelines. Where's your clinic? It's called the Sophia Health Institute, mm-hmm. and it's in Woodenville, Washington. That's a suburb of Seattle. Yeah, we're outside Seattle. But it's a bit greener, a bit cleaner. Mm-hmm. And what kind of classes are offered at your institute? I have um, uh, three institutes. <laughs> I have the Klingard Academy, which is uh, teaching my workshops uh, in the U.S., um, uh, where I teach everything I do. In England and the English-speaking world is Klingard Institute, and maybe the better website. And then in the German-speaking countries, I have the Institute of Neurobiology in Germany. Great. Well, Dr. Klinghart, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was good talking to you. Yeah, thank you. I hope it's going to be helpful to some people. Oh, it will be, believe me. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) I really, really appreciate it. And it just, uh, you're just such a wealth of knowledge. I could talk to you for hours, and I'm sure listeners are hungry for more, um, but they can go and visit your your websites if they want more information and visit your clinic if uh, they want to do everything the correct way and stop spinning their wheels. Everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast. You can learn more about me at live2110.com and mineralpower.com. Thank you so much for listening.